Hi there, and welcome to Wistful Thinking. I'm Cara Gail O'Regan with my co-host, Jordan Pollan-Clark. This is a show where we'll be inviting guests on to revisit favorite pieces of pop culture from their childhood. Today's guest is co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network, Mike Manzi, and we'll be talking about The Net from 1995. Uh, today we are going to be talking about The Net from 1995, which was directed by Erwin Winkler and stars Sandra Bullock, Jeremy Northam, and oddly enough, Dennis Miller. Uh, <laughs> the Net is about a computer programmer who stumbles upon a conspiracy, putting her life and the lives of those around her in great danger. Mm. I said to you guys before we started recording that this was actually one of my favorite movies when I was a child um, and neither of you had ever seen it so what did you guys think? I I liked it uh, they killed someone in the f- during the credits scene which yeah. was exciting and, and I was like okay yeah I'm on board with this um, <laughs> it's funny like I don't have any sentimental feelings towards this movie because I never saw it before so it's funny to watch all the tech it just looks so stupid now, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it dates the movie pretty badly and makes it seem pretty cheesy at times. But overall, I, I liked it. Yeah, I actually quite enjoyed this. I found it very entertaining and maybe partially because of how the net is portrayed in this film. Um, back then, I don't remember any of this being possible. This is all sort of like we can do it now. But it's almost mm-hmm. as if they had our internet in 1995 somehow so but aside from that I actually found myself involved in this thriller like this person on the run uh, type movie I thought it was uh, pretty pretty entertaining and yeah I'd never seen it before but I was very aware of it so it was good to finally watch it yeah I mean to your point about the internet not having worked like that back then I actually read an interview with the um the movie's graphics supervisor and he was saying that they did actually make the web pages a lot more like robust and have a lot more images and stuff than you would have had on web pages at that time but that also they had created these interactive web pages like the pizza ordering and uh she She ordered a pizza online (laughs) she ordered a pizza online which you could not do at that time Except for... And she booked a flight. She booked, like, <laughs> where she wanted to sit, like how you book movie seats today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are things that you actually, like, could not do on the internet back then, but you can now. So it was a little ahead of its time, even. The pizza website that she bought her pizza on is maybe, like, the number one thing I'll remember about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at the time this movie was out, like I wasn't online yet. I mean, my neighbor was in chat rooms and on the internet, so I knew about it. It was all still dial up back then too. Um, so I didn't really have like a frame of reference. This all would have been sort of fantasy to me at the time in theaters, but looking back on it now, it's just like, they predicted a lot of stuff that actually kind of came true, like tracking people's cell phones and triangulating GPS. And we'll get into all that in this movie as well, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, this movie was made in 1995. And that's actually the year that um, Netscape Navigator was first released to the public, which was kind of the very beginnings of like everyday people getting online, you know, not just oh, the okay. nerds. So um this was really like at the very beginning of most people getting on the internet and most people probably were not at this time, which makes it a really interesting kind of time capsule. So like I said, this was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Um, and it was really interesting for me to revisit it because like I apparently didn't really remember anything about what actually happens in the movie. I just knew that I like I loved it and I watched it a bunch of times, but I think what I really enjoyed about it as a kid was just seeing like a woman use computers like expertly and like save her own ass, um, which is something that we don't even to this day see a lot of in movies. Right, that was really cool. Like that was like the most badass thing that 
you could be in 1995, right? Because, like, nobody really understood it yet, and she knew, like, everything about it. Yeah, and it's true that you still wouldn't even, like, even now, that's still kind of pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, too. I felt it was actually quite refreshing not to have this just be, like, another, like, office guy going through the motions again that this is from a different perspective. Like, she has different things on her mind than a guy probably would doing all this but i also thought it was kind of interesting how she's a hacker and this isn't how hackers were ordinarily portrayed necessarily like they were mostly like just these neon clad rollerbladers going around like you know pranking people uh and this i thought was interesting because she's portrayed uh, like sort of as an introvert and a homebody and like this isn't a very like sort of glorified role for a person to take you know she's not going to you know, looking attractive through this whole movie. She's going to get beat up and all that stuff, but she is going to save her own ass and be very resourceful. So it was it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah. Is it, can I get really, like, feminist right away? Sure. So basically, like, her identity gets taken away, and she was kind of such a, like, a private person, like, kind of a homebody who just spent all of her time on her computer. So she really didn't have any friends or, like, anybody around who could, you know, tell like the police like no actually this this is not who this is um you know and kind of vouch for her um can you think of um so basically the whole world was gaslighting her yeah and can you think of a movie where that happens to a man like does it have to be a woman in this main part for this movie to work Mm, that's a really good question um i mean i don't i don't think so because i think of like the game with michael douglas like it's this sort of like conspiracy like identity theft type movie uh i i don't know that's a tough that's a tough one i mean i think it just they they bring up different problems depending on the gender you know because like this kind of goes about it in in like a lousy way right like she's goes on vacation inexplicably you know, to sort of get the plot going and like the guy picks her up on the beach and all that. Like, I feel like that wouldn't happen if it was a guy per se. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question because I think of movies like Wanted where like it, it's just like this everyday ordinary office jockey and Angelina Jolie comes into his life and sort of like, I don't know, Jordan, you've got me in a quandary right off the bat here. I'm not sure. What do you think? I don't, I should have done more research before I asked the question. Um, <laughs> Because I it's okay. actually, it's interesting. no, and I, I kind of, I kind of think if we made this exact movie with a man in the lead role, I think it could still work. Because I think they, they um, create bad guys who are bad enough and good enough at their bad guy jobs that um, they kind of have her in every corner. And I think that would probably work for a man too. Although the idea of a, a, like, there's no hot guy who has no friends. Do you know? Like, there's no hot guy (laughs) who doesn't date and who never leaves his house and who nobody knows who he is. Like, that kind of male character in a movie would not look like Sandra Bullock does as a woman. Mm. Um, Yeah, you end up getting someone like, like you get it has to be amped up to like a Jason Bourne level, right? If yeah. everybody's after you right. and you have no identity, you have to be like this good-looking badass like army right. dude or something. Right. And not only that, have like this beautiful woman in tow sort of helping you. And Sandra Bullock gets, you know, Dennis Miller for like 15 minutes she to gets help these, her. Oh god, she gets <laughs> these men who are awful. Like Well, that was the the point that I was going to make next was that like the the men that she comes into contact with in any sort of romantic way. So it's Dennis Miller's character who used to be her therapist, which big red flag, but uh, Dennis Miller and then the bad guy that she meets on the beach in Mexico, um, they're both incredibly abusive toward her and like just put her in these situations and say things to her that I think to your point, Jordan, about her being gaslighted and stuff like that, like would never happen to a male character. Like the bad guy, every time that he like corners her and gets her, he tells her how attracted he is to her, but he's trying to kill her. And he's saying like, I'm trying to kill you, but it's hard because I also would like to have sex with you. And it's just like these <laughs> yes. very mixed messages that um, I 
I have a hard time seeing happening to a male character. Yeah, it would play very differently with a with a male character, especially because even even if there was a hot woman, you know, doing the same thing to a lead male character, she probably wouldn't be able to physically restrain him the way a male character can physically restrain Sandra Bullock because he's just bigger than her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there were like a, a couple other things that stood out to me rewatching this now as an adult. Um, uh, the AIDS crisis actually plays a pretty big role oh, yeah. in this. That was something that like I don't think registered for me at all. And it, it went, upon this watching, um, it might be because I spend so much more time now thinking about you know illness and epidemics and that sort of thing. But it was just very obvious to me that this actually that that the the role of like. HIV and AIDS and the AIDS crisis actually kind of runs as like a parallel storyline, but also like reflects the fear of like technology, I think that's really baked into this movie and like the fear of AIDS and like how, how those two things kind of parallel, I found really interesting. Can you guys explain to me the AIDS thing? Because I had, for being honest, I had a little bit of a hard time following some of the plot of this movie mm-hmm. and that was one of the things so here's what i understand they there was a guy who was some he had some government job yeah he was the under secretary of defense so not the okay. secretary of defense just i guess the the guy directly below him um, okay so they hacked his medical records to make him think that he had aids but he didn't and he was very homophobic, so he killed himself? Yeah, so he tests positive for HIV and gets diagnosed with AIDS. And then um, rather than, you know, face living with the stigma of it and all of that sort of thing, he uh, commits suicide. So, and that's the guy who kills himself during the opening credits. That's correct. Why does that, why is that in this movie? Okay, so <laughs> that's actually kind of the the driver of the whole movie or I don't know it's like a case study in this um kind of like the vulnerability of uh technology and data as I was watching it I asked my boyfriend like is this an allegory for the AIDS crisis and he thought I was crazy but then I spent several hours googling and I found this really incredible um piece written by somebody named Kate McKinney for online journal called Drain uh, for a special issue that they did on AIDS and memory called Can a Computer Remember AIDS? Um, and, and she goes into like all of the ways that like these two things kind of parallel each other in this movie. And so this undersecretary of defense was highly critical of this gatekeeper software that oh, okay. uh, Gregson or, or Greg... Jeff Gregg, yeah. Yeah, so this evil billionaire who's like secretly trying to take over the world has this security software that actually has a built-in backdoor. So people working for him are staging these like mass chaotic failures of technology through hacking. So like the, the stock market crashes, there's like all of these like problems with the planes and stuff like that, which then makes these entities be like, hey, we need better security. Let's buy the security software. But once they install it, it actually enables the people working for Greg Praetorians to have access to all of these systems. So the FBI, the, you know, medical records, like all of this stuff. And that's what she discovers. And so, I don't know. I'm getting lost in this. <laughs> I know. It is convoluted, though. It is That's convoluted, <laughs> yeah. I, that actually clarified a lot of things for me. I didn't realize that he had been critical of Gatekeeper, and now I understand that. That makes sense. But so, uh, so she's um, a hacker, and she's a freelancer, so people just send her things to work on. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So somebody sends her this disc, um, and it she puts it in, and he's like, oh, she's talking to the guy who sent it to her, and he's like, oh, do you notice anything weird? And she's like, oh, yeah, this pie symbol. So she clicks on the pie symbol, um, and that's when she discovers something. Yeah, which is basically just the access point 
to log into, like it brings her to a specific government uh, login. I don't remember which one it is because it's different kind of throughout the movie, but it's an access point to all of these databases. So by clicking on this pie symbol, it brings the the user to there and then theoretically they'd be able to log in and have access to any of the information contained to any of the databases that use this gatekeeper software. But it gets a little bit more confusing and more convoluted in that um, right before she receives that disk, she's actually working on extracting a virus from Wolfenstein 3D. The, yes. The old video game. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, which is actually like already kind of outdated by the time that this movie was made. <laughs> but so she gets this virus and then and then she works on this gatekeeper thing and they're actually two separate things which I didn't even really realize until like the end of the movie. So they they set that up at the very beginning and then they don't really talk about the virus again because they've just been talking about the gatekeeper software, and then later in the movie she uses the virus for something, which we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah, my big question about this whole thing, though, is that she was trying to decrypt this Mozart's ghost disc, which is just seems to be some kind of, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like, I remember these, like, CD-ROMs that bands would give away and you could just explore their biographies and stuff. So I didn't understand why the sort of why the access point why that pi symbol was on mozart's ghost to begin with and it seems like that was what she was supposed to explore but then as soon as you click on it people know you click on it and then they're out to sort of get you right like that's that was what kicks off everything because she clicked on that unknowingly it sent a signal back to the hackers the evil hackers that uh oh someone is aware that this program exists yeah so are we to believe that that's <sighs> that's so this this disc what was the disc that had the pi symbol on it the first one Mozart's ghost I believe it right. was called Okay so so like a Mozart's ghost like is that how they're spreading their software around like I, think I don't it's understand just like a front for you know this access point like no one would ever suspect that on on this band's disc or it seems like more like a web page um that like this would be the access point for this like clandestine oh okay that kind of makes sense um but i have to say mozart mozart's ghost really seems like a band that bill and ted would be into <laughs> yeah that would have been great if it was wild stallions yeah <laughs> my other question is and like we probably can't answer this but like you know like some computer movies like now like do a really good job and some you're just like even i don't know that much about anything and i watch and i'm like that's that would never happen like you didn't do your research like would a hacker in 1995 have watched this movie and gone like oh good job they researched this or are they like Ugh, and they turn it off well i actually can answer that question for you i don't know about the people in 1995 but at least on today's contemporary internet people have lots of things to complain about as they do with everything um and there were like three big things that kind of stuck out stuck out to me about people's complaints one which is like i said before that the websites in the film are a lot busier and robust than they would have been at the time uh the second is that the load times are way faster than they would have been mm-hmm. at the time yeah yep which can you imagine just... watching the movie if it hadn't been yeah too it would have been unwatchable it would have been awful been five hours yeah oh my God. <laughs> Um, and then the third one, which seems to be the biggest sticking point, is that one of the IP addresses shown on screen has one too many numbers. Mm. So. Okay. So that Those don't sound like terrible complaints. I think this is closer to reality than something like the Hackers movie. Yeah. That was which out came out the, the same, same year. time. That, oh, it's same year? Wow. Yeah. So maybe somewhere they meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Um, but I thought it, I was pretty impressed by her setup that she at the time would have like three or four computers going at the same time and, you know, multitasking to that degree where she was like on the beach with her laptop. And that was that was rare at the time, I would imagine having, you know, like a portable laptop. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, like Wi-Fi didn't exist. Right. What was she yeah, using Yeah, where is she for? plugging in? 
<laughs> well, they That's even crazy. talked about that on the beach. Like this guy that she meets who also you know conveniently works in computers and they talk about how you know here they are in this beautiful place and they're just thinking about like where can i hook up my modem (laughs) modems i love that she had one computer in her house that she just used to be like basically a yule log yeah yeah it really went all out trying to you know realize how far can we push computer internet technology at the time like i do still feel like even though it was not possible back then like they did they did get like they were kind of prescient in where it was gonna be you know like today we are doing what she's doing with the chat like we don't even have to type it out but like we see her in a chat room uh and she's got like her six buddies in there and they all chat to each other and they sound like stephen hawking when they (laughs) speak back to her right oh god yeah and it's like text to speech yeah this is yeah the text to speech but i mean that's very common today and you know look at us here you know on discord and everything so uh, and yeah the ordering pizza stuff like i do that all the time but yeah so I didn't listen to the writer's audio commentary because I just didn't want to hear him congratulate himself for two hours (laughs) or whatever because I just because I just know like I I feel like even if it's kind of pushing it and corny and everything like no they were they were along the right lines they had the right idea and so that's why I feel like yeah visually it's kind of laughable but conceptually it's really cool and it works yeah at one point, she winds up kind of in police custody with a court-appointed lawyer, and she's talking to her and trying to explain the situation, and she has no documentation proving she is who she is, and they think she's somebody else who has this long uh, criminal record because of you know all of the hacking. They've switched out her personal information, and she says, they knew. They knew everything about me. They knew. They knew what I ate. They knew what I drank. They knew what movies I watched. They knew where I was from. They knew what cigarettes I used to smoke and everything they did. They must have watched on the internet, watched my credit cards. Our whole lives are on the computer, which, like, that's how Facebook works now. (laughs) Yeah, that's, like, everybody panicking about what the internet or, like, what computers might be. Like, that's, like, the public's fear, right? Yeah, that's our everyday. Yeah, and I think that they do a good job sort of promoting the technophobia throughout this. And that might correlate back to the AIDS thing, too. Just the idea of phobia and panic and just not understanding, you know, this this thing that's new and, right, and being caught up in the panic of it and, and letting that get a hold of you. So, yeah, I thought that that, that related pretty well. Yeah. For sure. Why do you guys think they gave her mom Alzheimer's? Oh, I was waiting for someone to bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> I know I actually... what I think, but what do you think? Okay. So, uh, yeah, because I was dwelling on it the whole movie. I was like, why did they pick that disease? Why is it her mother? Why not her father? This and that. Ultimately, I think it's because Sandra Bullock's character is going through this loss of identity throughout the whole film, and her mom with the Alzheimer's has lost sort of her identity and her sense of self. So there's some kind of like weird thematic parallel happening between that. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was picking up from it. That's a really interesting way to look at it. I think you're right. And then like the other piece of it is just um, as far as like why it's not her dad, another woman is less trustworthy or at least in the eyes of, you know, the patriarchy, less uh, trustworthy than a man would be as far as like being able to confirm her identity. And because she's, you know, struggling with dementia and has lost her own memory and doesn't recognize her own daughter, she can't vouch for her. So like the only people in the world that know who uh, Sandra Bullock is, her, her character, uh, whose name I can't even remember right now, but like the only people in the Angela. world, Angela, Angela, her name was Angela because that's one of my favorite movie names because of sleepaway camp. It's just like a great name to yell in a movie. And she's also named Ruth Marks. So it's tough to remember when you got two. It's true, they do names. change yeah. her name in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So like the only people in the world that can like look at her and say, yes, this is who she says she is, is her mother who can't recognize her as it is and uh, her ex-boyfriend slash former therapist who is 
uh, questionable at yeah. best. Does he die in... I can't re- remember if he dies or he just becomes comatose, but that is all very weirdly sort of dealt out. Like, I, I feel like that should have been a lot smoother, like handled a lot smoother. <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely dies. <laughs> okay. But they what do they do? Like, oh, so, so like he's not diabetic, but they give him like insulin? Yeah, so and his... And he goes into shock? So uh, what I got from it is that his medical records have actually been hacked twice, which... <laughs> You laugh, but people's medical records do get breached all of the time. No, not because of that, uh, just that it was like double hacked. Yeah, double like, hacked. Um, yeah. So he has a prescription for something, and he goes and he fills his prescription, and he takes the pills, and then shortly thereafter, although I'm pretty sure in real life it would have been more instantaneous than this, but like shortly after that, he starts like coughing and choking. And it turns out that he was dispensed penicillin, but he's actually allergic to penicillin. So that's what lands him in the hospital. And then once he is in the hospital and he's unconscious, I guess his medical records get hacked again and they make it seem like he's diabetic and should be treated and is being treated for complications from diabetes. And so he's given some sort of medication that ultimately kills him. Just shoot him. Like, (laughs) it's like they're just, they want to use computers so bad. This way is more fun. (laughs) Is it though? I just want. (laughs) And it's, it really, it's, they're uncatchable for most of the movie, right? Because. Yeah, that's it. That's true. They cover the people at the hospital wouldn't even assume that their records got hacked, you know? Yeah. They made the hospital murder him. Right. Well, and yeah. also because they say, like, it's not possible that they hacked our records because we have this gatekeeper software. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Which kind of felt like it came into play later than I expected it should have. Like, there wasn't much of that dropped early on to remember, I felt. like, Or there was, and it just did a good job of distracting me from it with all the questions and answers and all the different tables and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I think because like for most of the duration of the movie, the only um, mentions even that we get of Gatekeeper are in the news reports that happen to be playing mm. kind of in the background, uh, yeah. um, which is That's easy enough. Clever. Yeah, it's easy enough to kind of just like not even pay attention to that. But those news reports actually are driving the entire super important yeah yeah because even yeah that's pretty clever yeah the evil billionaire that owns that software company like we never actually get him in the movie we only see him in the news report that's true that's true which was like like i feel like they did this big reveal when she like figured out that it was him behind all of this except it didn't feel like a big reveal because i didn't know who he was yeah. yeah i i didn't either and and even she said i knew it was you right she was like i knew it i just had to be sure but who else could it be yeah that was a little un that wasn't really dealt with too well i guess just from the writing perspective i mean just from an audience member i could understand from the character's point of view she knows exactly you know she can put one and one to get one and two together as soon as she sees that guy's face she's like okay i know who he is and i know more than the average person would about this guy because i'm a hacker and this and that and i know where his offices are and i can take him down and and it is kind of cool she becomes like completely proactive for the last like 40 minutes of this like as soon as dennis miller dies she's like screw it like i'm taking them down and she like takes the fight to them which was really cool can i take the alzheimer's thing one step farther because i feel like there's either something that they should have done a better job writing in or it was written in and they uh had to cut it maybe um her mom was pretty young yeah yeah for a mom um i feel like her mom has that kind of alzheimer's that you get when you're pretty young and like like Sandra Bullock, I feel like she, like she, you know, the world was gaslighting her. They were telling her that everything she was saying wasn't true. Like, do you think there's a point where Angela thought like maybe I just have Alzheimer's? Like maybe I'm mm, just like my mom. That's an interesting point. That's possible. That is possible. I wish they dwelled on that for a scene or two because I like. I would have liked 
to have her been convinced more that she's maybe losing her mind or going crazy. You know, she feels a little, it's a little too confident that she's not wrong. I thought there was like a couple of minutes of the movie where I thought it might go there. And I was like, oh, oh, right. We're not going that way. Okay. Because like how cool instead of maybe the police station, she ended up in an asylum Mm -hmm. for a scene or two. Right. Right. (laughs) And she was like, maybe, you know, but she's got to get out of there before they start force feeding her pills and things. Interesting. I didn't think about that, but that's, I mean, it would be extremely realistic for her to be like, oh my God, maybe I am losing it and like starting to think. Because when you are gaslighted repeatedly, especially about your health, like you start to think, well, maybe I am just imagining all this. Maybe this is, you know, so that's that's a really interesting point. And I think it would have worked, too, because for the most part, aside from, you know, how the Internet works and stuff, I feel like the rest of this film is pretty well grounded in in like as far as everything else that happens could happen. Like she doesn't like when she goes on the run and stuff like I think the bridge scene is a good example, right? Like it's. Like, she makes it across that bridge the way I feel like we could. It's not like the bridge is all the way up and she has to jump for it, like, superhuman in any kind of way. Like, the film really keeps her everyday, sort of ordinary person, you know, strength-wise, stamina-wise. Maybe she can outsmart the average person just because she's, like, real tech-savvy. But uh, I think because of all that, you know, they, they had the opportunity to take certain things in bigger directions and be more believable or take a chance or two um, and it wouldn't feel like that unusual. I kind of think that's what the middle of this movie needed like I was like super on board in the beginning like I was even like really excited like when she took the bullets out of the gun I was so excited. Yeah. Like and I could have used more stuff like that you know like great escapes or like i don't know i think a big problem with this for me was dennis miller like just even as the concept of a character not even as an actor but just as like a character and a moment here i mean i i like i don't think it was like i don't like how she had to go to some guy for help at in the middle of the movie and be this like tawdry affair on top of that like it would have been okay maybe if it was like her brother or something or if she had like I don't know it it just felt like a double bad sort of whammy like A it's a guy she has to go depend on and B it's someone she had like you know this extramarital affair with or whatever like why couldn't she go to her um, like meet one of those hackers in her chat room that we she tries and we never get to see him but it I think the movie should have had her actually meet up with one of them and it be you know like another female hacker or some young kid or like a really old guy or you know like really that that in the middle of the movie I was really expecting that moment to happen and we get Dennis Miller (laughs) yeah I mean they I get what you're saying and I think to a certain extent you're right but like the whole point is that like she needs to find people who are grounded in her like in IRL, you know, in her real well, life. Who know her, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but and she actually does do a who is lookup of the people that she's uh, she was chatting with in those chat rooms. And if you look closely at the screens, like one of them is like a twelve year old, and you know, so they're yeah, like they're mm. uh, the ideas are there somewhere, yeah. yeah, just not fully explored. Yeah, it didn't. What so, so when he almost died the first time. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, she was kind like, he was being a real asshole to her, like, really kind of self-centered, like, didn't even believe her at first. Yeah, didn't believe her. Like, he was a real jerk. And he kind of, like, humored her, even though it was, he wasn't sure if he believed her. So he was being kind of helpful. Um, But she's kind of, like, you know, not giving in to him Mm -hmm. in a way. Like, she knows she needs him, but she's not giving into him being an asshole like she doesn't sleep with him she doesn't kiss him nothing um and i liked that that was strong of her but then the second he almost dies that goes away and she's like cuddling with him in the hospital bed yeah yeah it's yeah and especially since that scene you were mentioning she she has that like it's not a freak out per se but she gets real loud and like 
proclaims, right? She's like, I know I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like, yeah, it's like, listen already, dude. It's like, what does it take to get you to like, you're a therapist, first of all, like, this is, isn't this your job to sort of like give the person the benefit of the doubt or something? And on top of that, we know each other, you should know me, you know who I am. It's, it was very frustrating that he would play it that way that he, it almost seemed like he was expecting to get some action out of her at some point or anything. Yeah, he it just he came was. across real creepy. Yeah, which I guess is part of the point, right? Yeah. Is like, <laughs> yeah. So all that, and and I guess from that perspective, it's kind of interesting how everyone after her are all these men, right? Like trying to take control of her life and trying to trap her and and trying to like drive her mad. I think the the fact that like this is the only. But because her her mother has dementia and like can't vouch for her, this is the only other person in the world who can because everyone's either dead or doesn't have a memory, and it's this fucking guy. You know, I think yeah, I think that's where that character is is grounded in, and not so much of like a oh man, I wish. I wish this guy wasn't such an asshole. It's like, oh my god, is this fucking guy really? Like, this is who she has to rely on. Um, and I, I think that it actually does work in that capacity. Oh, can we talk about, like, a little bit of the way this was directed? Sure. Because there was a couple of, like, things that this director did. Um, it wasn't, like, super prominent, but it happened a few times that he did these, like, weird close-ups. Like, extreme close-ups. Like when Sandra Bullock figured out who the bad guy was when they were on the boat together, like it would zoom in like really close on his mouth and then only on his eyes, like while he was talking. And then it happened, oh, it happened one more time, but I can't remember where. But it was just like such a, it was a really weird choice. Um, And then I started looking up what else this director had directed. And I actually don't remember, but I I remember that he'd been directing, you know, since the fifties or sixties, like he's pretty old when he made this. And I was like, Oh, is that the kind of choice that would have made sense in the fifties or sixties and looks really (laughs) strange now? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That's possible. I, I was definitely the music and the sort of idea of like, mistaken identity I was kind of getting like a I wanted to get like a Hitchcock vibe out of this a little bit yeah and I felt like maybe with those types of shots he was trying to take it in that direction like there's some interesting shots early on before she even knows that she's being followed where she'll kind of like take out the garbage and look across the street and her neighbors just like standing there staring at her and it just looks suspicious, but the neighbor probably just never sees her and wanted to get a good look. And then later on, when she's at the beach, um, the like the um, the waiter is just kind of or someone is just kind of standing there on the beach looking at her. And he ends up not being after her either. So it's kind of I feel like the director is trying to set up a certain tone with the visual language of sort of the thriller film where it's like, you know, we're going to get the sort of uh, imposing shots of the close-ups of the eyes, you know, and make sure that that stands out really, really strong. And you know exactly what she's looking at at the moment or, you know, to tell if he's lying. So, yeah, I did pick up on a few interesting flares throughout this. Um, I wanted to know what you guys thought about the uh, the beach scene with Sandra Bullock in the bikini. Was that necessary? <laughs> I mean... Did she need to go to Mexico just to be on a beach so we could have the bikini shot yeah probably because <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know why she went there in the first place it doesn't seem like the type of destination her character would have chosen yeah um right like i thought i kind of pictured her more maybe in like amsterdam or france or something just as easy to sort of pick up on her too you know if you're the conniving bad guy looking to pick her up and more convincing if you have, like, a laptop on you. You know, if you're at the beach, I'm kind of scratching my head if you're on your laptop. But if you're at, like, a cafe in Paris... Yeah, like, okay, she doesn't really seem like more sense. somebody who, like, enjoys sunlight. So that is an interesting choice. <laughs> but one thing, actually, that I, I noticed while she was still in Mexico, like, while she's at the embassy or the consulate or wh- wherever that is, that she's, like trying to figure out what's going on and like get a visa to get back to the United States or a temporary visa. 
because all of her identification has uh, been physically stolen from her because um, her purse gets stolen on the beach. And I noticed that like just outside, like this is a very chaotic scene. There's a lot going on. And just outside the door, there's actually a protest going on. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually like rewound it to see if I could like see any of the signs or anything. And you can't because it's, it's a little bit too blurry. So it's not clear what that protest is about. So then I was like furiously Googling what was happening in Mexico in 1995 and it turns out that um, at the end of 1994, there was a drought that started and then their economy collapsed and uh, the value of the peso is down by like almost 40% when this would have been filming. And the U.S. like had to give a whole bunch of financial aid and like, basically bail out the Mexican economy. Um, so as far as like why a choice being made. I don't know if this was like a <laughs> conscious choice being made to like set this piece of the movie in a place where the economy is collapsing and there's all this chaos. But like, if that was a conscious choice, it would make sense as opposed to some place like Paris or Amsterdam where, you know, the economy is more stable and there isn't, you know, all of this chaos going on. Oh, that's very subtle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the I, I noticed those protests too, and I thought it just added a good sense of general chaos to the world. You right. know, you have like these rogue hacker terrorists, you know, canceling flights everywhere and doing all their kind of things. So I almost thought that it was something they did that wasn't that never made the news uh, in America or something that they were going global with all of this and and hacking the planet. So that was that's that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny that there's an actual explanation for that well too. i don't know if it's the actual explanation but it's a well plausible that it's explanation. an explanation that it fits though yeah you know like that i mean i'm not sure if that's why they filmed there but that because they filmed in mexico that they included that is pretty interesting yeah and then there's there's another protest that we see in the movie which is toward the end she like escapes so she actually escapes several times into crowds like when she's being pursued uh, which I found really interesting because, you know, here's this person who's so isolated and like there's all these themes of isolation and loneliness and identity and, you know, identities being verified by other people. So it's interesting that she's able to disappear into into crowds and become anonymous. So the, the other protest that we see in the movie is an act up vigil that is happening just outside of the convention center. Um, and so that's, you know, where we get more of like, um, the AIDS imagery and kind of context for, for the set, for the movie too. What was the event at the convention center? So it's the banner that we see is the Pan Pacific Computer Conference, I think. Okay. I just assumed it was like the Consumer Electronics Show. Yeah, so they actually did film renamed. it at the 1995 Macworld Convention. Oh. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's really like the dramatic climax of the film. It's hard to explain like what happens and how she gets there and why <laughs> she's there. Uh, <laughs> Well, before she gets there, she goes to, Did she, does she go, where she goes to, which ends up sort of being like the place where they make, is that where they make, all right, so I have a few questions here <laughs> before we get to the end, maybe you can help me with. When she gets to San Francisco, does she go to that office, is that like her home office where she, like, that's like the people she works for, yeah. but she works from home, right? Right, so there's two and, software companies, there's Gregson or whatever who makes Gatekeeper mm. and then there's Cathedral which is who she works for and that's the office okay. that she goes to. Okay, yeah. And there that's where we find who <laughs> turns out to um, she's like there's the lady impersonating her who actually at the end we find out is the actual Ruth Marks well, which made me laugh to no end. Maybe. Um, or that could have been somebody else who just That's right. It could have been place. triple ID'd. Right. Good call. But I like that scene um a lot i think it pays off not only did i think it was shot well for a sneaking around the office scene but thematically it worked well because like you were saying like she has completely lost her identity at this time and like not only does she like blend into crowds and spend more time in public but like she's almost invisible mm -hmm. in this moment right like she is completely shrouded in mystery like she's got no identity she doesn't exist like she is the invisible girl in this moment so like i i just felt that that was pretty clever um clever writing like 
thematically like use that idea and visualize it in a way and so i was watching that scene going like this is this is really cool like i'm i really like the way this is working out <laughs> like ordinarily i wouldn't like that convention of like you know we only have like until they come back to get the disc copied like how many times have you seen that you know it's like just recently in rogue one right where it's like we got to copy these plans before they get back to the tower or whatever um and here it's cliched but it worked really well yeah because she's able to like hack the fire system and like make the fire alarm go off and so the building gets evacuated and she hides and she makes a copy of um gate like the gatekeeper access stuff uh uh, because the in it, the original floppy disk that she had actually got destroyed while she was in Mexico. Um, so then she gets that disk and she sneaks out and that's when she kind of, I think that's when she disappears into the AIDS protest and gets to the Moscone Center. Um, and the whole time that she's actually in the cathedral office, we hear like this overhead announcement that the cathedral booth at the Moscone Center is in the northwest corner or something like that (laughs) wow i didn't hear that at all yeah well i the only reason that i even noticed it was because they say it multiple times and i was just like what why are they saying this and then of course you get the the payoff she gets to moscone center she locates the cathedral software booth logs into a terminal and um emails the contents of the disk Mm -hmm. to the fbi (laughs) yes yeah which is interesting (laughs) Uh, so she writes like the letter and then she pops in the copy of the program and somehow transfers all that data to the email as like a file attachment which... and sends it is that what i'm led to believe <laughs> i mean that's what i got from it which is this is what i mean is what would people in 1995 be mad about this computer technology <laughs> i mean stuff like that only people who've ever you know, tried to send an email with a file attachment that's too large <laughs> but the movie kind of earned it like yeah. i wasn't complaining about that like that's not what i was having problems with like toward the end here i was just wondering why this booth would a be like unguarded but also be like i don't know be like connected to everything you know like i just figured it would be a prop or or a demo or something but no she can actually like do stuff on this computer like access a mainframe yeah well i mean the whole point of conferences like that are to like test drive the technology you know so i mean yeah a lot of times there would be demo stuff on these terminals but like apparently not at this one you know um and usually there'd be like somebody working the booth to be like oh this is the xy 2020 blah 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 blah." especially for the amount of time that she was sitting there yeah because she was there for like a while right and you know she's furiously trying to send this email and the suspense is building as we see she's like being hunted down by the bad guy and uh who we later learn may or may not be the real ruth marks um (laughs) and like just as she is about to send the email or just as she sends the email um they hunt her down and they're like oh well you think you did this but all we have to do is hit the escape key and it's going to undo everything that you did but this is where that virus from the beginning of the movie pays off because she's removed the gatekeeper disc and replaced it with the red disc that had the virus on it And that virus is triggered by hitting the escape key. So when he hits the escape key, we see this bizarre kind of disintegration. Mosaic Mosaic effect. Yeah. Yeah. Like viruses are never this visual, but hey, it's a movie. So, you know, it's like we see it disintegrating on the screen. So like, I don't know. I guess it like undoes what he did. That part is unclear at best, but... Um, the Wolfenstein virus wipes out everything is basically what you need to know is it it like corrupts the core of the gatekeeper system like nothing will ever work ever again regarding that software for whatever reason I mean we don't you know they don't go into it but presumably because this virus was activated like it it resets everything is fine you know like all the data is lost so her but, false identity has been erased and she's been put back to normal. Right. But what's confusing about that is 
I mean, if you if you follow that to the end of the movie, where you overhear again another news report talking about how the FBI got this email that revealed that the gatekeeper software is blah 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 blah, and the billionaire is getting arrested. How were they able to confirm that information if the entire <laughs> gatekeeper software and that mainframe or whatever has been destroyed? Like that's confusing to me, but I might be. And they have her name. They name her by name. Yeah. At the end. Yeah, they like do. thanks to the help of her. Right. <laughs> so so somehow after she's corrupted the entire system, they're still able to access enough information to clear her name and take down Jeff Gregg. Right. Which like okay um it's all right i mean she's earned it right yeah yeah for sure she still has to like beat the hell out of that guy with a fire extinguisher well yeah she has her obligatory 90s thriller murder scene uh where she actually kills him she like you know he's he and allegedly ruth marks are pursuing her and they wind up like in the back of house, I guess, for the the uh, convention center, and she's trying to elude them, and then he accidentally shoots and kills Ruth Marks, and then he finally tracks her down, and they're on this catwalk, and they're beating the shit out of each other, and then she grabs a fire extinguisher and hits him with it and knocks him off of the catwalk, killing him. Um, and then that same news report that we overhear at the end of the movie talks about how two uh, bodies were recovered at the Moscone Center. Um, one of them has been identified as Ruth Marks, and they're still working to confirm the identity of the other person. But apparently not looking for the person who killed them? I don't know. That part is a little weird. <laughs> can, can I just say, like, maybe Ruth Marks' death is one of the all-time craziest on-screen deaths I think I've ever seen. Really? Like, well, just he accidentally shoots her because he's looking for a woman and and he thinks he sees a woman, so he just shoots the first girl he sees. Like that's how he, that's how I came across. She I'm was like, in the dark. She was in the dark. She was in the dark, but she like the same he, he knew he was with her, and to like watch <laughs> out for her his partner, and it's like the first sign of of like any female, and he just shoots them down. I don't know. It just struck me. I just started laughing so hard be, because of that. I mean, I've seen people get shot by mistake before in movies and everything, but nothing. Yeah, but nothing like a, nothing hit me quite like that for some reason. If anyone was going to get shot by mistake, it would be the person who's impersonating the person you're trying to kill, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, symbolically, you know, the persona of Ruth Marks died along with her. Right, <laughs> but also I think um, back to Jordan's point about like invis- the invisible girls, like. Brown-haired white women are pretty easy to mistake for each other, you know? Like Yeah, but Sandra Bullock seems shorter. Mm, I'll give it to you. It was dark. It was I'll dark. They have the same hair color and relatively the same build. Well, like he not... also like he also he was pretty put together in the beginning of the movie. You know, he thought he was just going to shoot her on the boat and that would be it. But she's been getting away the entire movie, so I don't yeah. think he's exactly thinking clearly anymore either. There, there's a... Oh, man, one of my favorite shots is with him, and it clearly shows him not thinking straight, is he's driving his car, he's on one of those gigantic cell phones, and he's got his laptop open in his passenger seat, and he's like computing and driving and talking on the phone, like all at the same time. I mean, today we have it all on our iPhone, so you know you can like, whatever you can like follow directions and talk to someone while you're driving. It, it's it's not as dangerous. But back then, I was like, man, this guy is unhinged. Like he is just surrounding himself with more and more tech. Like the more that she gets on, gets one over on him, like he's just gonna add another piece of tech, and he just doesn't care. He's just well, going like full tilt. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, uh, that kind of serves as like a metaphor for hacking in general, right? Like that hackers find vulnerabilities in software and exploit them, and then people try to patch those vulnerabilities, and then they find new ones, and you know, and and they they adapt along with it and if you extend that a little bit further to um like the whole aids thing like 
that's also true of how a lot of uh, pathogens work. You know, they like anti antibiotic resistant bacteria and other infectious diseases, as we learn to treat and attempt to eradicate them, start to evolve and kind of get, you know, so there's that kind of tension between all of those things too. I might be reading it a little too much into that, but. <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a valid reading, you know, like there's, it's justified. I feel like it works and it makes the movie more interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes the movie feel political more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, so like I said, I did a lot of reading about this after watching it and, um, most of like what people have written about it was really derisive and like really kind of dismissing the movie. There's like tons of sexism in these pieces, of course. Um, and, you know, just being like, oh, this movie is so unbelievable and the technology and it's ridiculous and whatever. But like, I think it actually holds up remarkably well, A, for a movie about technology from the early, early to mid nineties and B, just like in general of all of these like things that we're talking about that they managed to kind of weave into the movie without being too um without like beating you over the head with it as far as like that whole AIDS metaphor goes and stuff like that I don't know if you guys feel the same way but well, yeah I, I I like it as a genuine thriller and then I also like it for all of the extra sort of subtle reasons like the subliminal stuff going on but I also like it because of the internet stuff like I just ended up really liking this movie the only thing I was thinking is I wish maybe it just said like you know 10 years from now or if they had like a date on it because I feel like you could make this movie today if this movie had never been made like you could make it for the first time and have it come out this year and it would feel like valid you'd be like yeah like this this is this is an issue. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, in that sense, it's very much ahead of its time. And I think it it's one of the films that might have suffered at the time for that, just because like people weren't as open-minded. They're like, oh man, this is like, this is so far into the future. Like they're doing so much guesswork here. And in fact, no, it was, they were only like 10 years off or so for the most part, like everything that they were working on here, like, came to be by now like we've got it all um so yeah i could understand people like at the time being a little turned off by it maybe not understanding it entirely but now like i feel like it works really well it works as like a crazy 90s thriller that is convoluted but fun and uh and also kind of as like this kind of scary internet you know like warning of um identity and everything like identity theft is a real issue so yeah there's there's i feel like this this movie should be seen there's a lot of reasons for it i think it's very valid i don't know why it gets bad i think maybe those people haven't watched it in a while or haven't maybe haven't watched it and just were judging it on on trailers or word of mouth but i feel like it deserves a shot yeah sure. and i think one of the one of the major critiques that i saw of it kind of repeated in several different pieces was that this was the most tech phobic movie since terminator um <laughs> but i didn't like it didn't read to me as tech phobic just like tech agnostic you know like that like yeah, you can order a pizza online without ever having to speak to another human being. But at the same time, like there are, there's a dark side to that. And like, we have to be care. It's, it's more like, I don't know. I didn't get tech phobic from it, but maybe, I, maybe it depends on like the viewer and like how much you project on the movie and how you feel about technology more than what the actual movie does. I don't know. I think that uh, that we can still watch this movie now and think it's pretty good also speaks to how good Sandra Bullock is because oh, of course. like just think think of this movie with a less charismatic star who you don't like as much like it probably wouldn't work anymore um Roger Ebert's whole review of this movie is actually basically just about how Sandra Bullock can take crappy scripts and make the movies good anyway, <laughs> which is kind of true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she, yeah, she's definitely charismatic. Like, 
I mean, even like in speed, right? Like for me, that was the first time I'd seen her and it felt like she was there all was like always there. I was like, where, you know, how is this the first time I had ever seen her? It feels like she's been making movies forever. Just ones I've never seen. Like she just feels really genuine and comfortable in the, in her roles. And this role is no exception. Like I, I completely buy her in this, you know, and maybe that's because this isn't like a vanity project, right? Like, there's not a lot of glamour going on to, to, to be very distracting. I mean, it's not part of the story either. So I'm glad that they didn't get like, you know, a Cameron Diaz or someone just more generally thought of as like model, beautiful or token, whatever, classical beauty. Like I think Sandra Bullock's beautiful. And I think like this is the perfect type of like vehicle for her. Um, it is like kind of schlocky, but she makes it serious and believable enough for me to be very entertained yeah and that uh interview that i read with the graphics supervisor uh made a point to note that like there are very few actors that can still act while using a computer and (laughs) that sandra bullock was actually like a total natural while doing it which i found really interesting that like she was able to act and use a computer at the same time and she looks really comfortable using a computer and like she's using it like an expert um so i found that really interesting and and something that i think that like you said if if this was another actor um in that role like might not have worked as successfully so speaking quickly of other actors in this particular role um the only the one thing i wanted to bring up was are you aware that this was, or I, I made you guys aware that this was spun off into a TV series, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. And so Brooke Langton played this very same character. Um, I have not, I said I would try to watch an episode. I did not have time to watch an episode, so I cannot report on that. But what is kind of interesting for the listeners, I don't know. Well, it's it, what is kind of interesting for me, I don't know if it's going to be interesting for the listeners, but it connects this with the Keanu Club podcast is that Brooke Langton was a co-star in um, a Keanu movie. Damn it. I can't think of the movie now. Hold on a second. I know, maybe I shouldn't have brought this up. Um, what's the football the movie? The replacements. Yes. So I don't know. I mean, we, you could check it out. I mean, that's that series didn't last more than a um, that show didn't last more than one season. So maybe this was a role, you know, for Sandra Bullock and only her. And they couldn't, t- or maybe they just couldn't take the net any further. How how long can she go on the run? Yeah. Well, actually, I I mean, it, this kind of exists in. Uh, I don't know if it's the same universe, but it does have uh, d- different characters and different storyline. There was actually a sequel called The Net 2.0 that uh, was released direct-to-video in 2006. Um, and it is about a young systems analyst who arrives in Istanbul for her new job to find that her identity has been stolen. So, you know, kind of the similar plot, different setting, um post 9-11 in the Middle East might be interesting. I did rent it once, but it was one of those times where I fell asleep like five minutes into it and then woke up during the credits. So I can't (laughs) tell you how it was, but it does exist. And you know what? I think that this, that the net could be rebooted now. I think that they could redo this movie now. and Oh, they could, could definitely do this again. It could be terrible, but it could also be really good. I think it could be better, to be honest. Like, it could be one of the few reboots, especially with all the stuff, all the innovation since. Yeah. Uh, I think they could yeah, even they... put her in a sequel now Ooh, and still make yeah. it Oh, I'd like that. Yeah. I'd love for her character to show up. That'd be excellent. Yeah. What do you think she would be doing now? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I, I'd... I wouldn't want to write her as like having this giant like I'd like her to have done something important but not high profile so that she sort of shows up halfway through the movie to be the guide of some kind like sort of yeah, how, like someone then needs her for something yeah yeah and then she's in the rest of the movie with that person 
Um, that's what I'd like to see. But she's probably somewhere in seclusion, you know, working with like <laughs> a team of people on an island on some amazing project. I'm sure <laughs> something's yeah. going on with her. You don't think that she would be uh, some sort of like venture capitalist in Silicon Valley? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think if anything, she might go the other way and go be like a, a nature na- naturalist, a nature person, like go out, like out and be, you'd find her in the middle of the jungle somewhere. But then once you got like down like this very treacherous, like trek of, of mountain, like she'd have like all these computers inside her hut. It's like, it would be state of the art, but she'd be in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. So you can't find her. Yeah. I like that. That's like in that, uh, uh, what's that movie she was in, uh, like last year, and she had played like a political consultant, and then she oh, just like drops off the crisis. face. Yeah. yeah, like wherever she is in that movie, when they find her at the beginning, like that's where she would be in the net too. She's good in that. I like that movie. It's pretty good. I keep watching the beginning of it on HBO, and then not watching the rest. <laughs> well, do you guys have any other thoughts, tidbits, ideas? My only thought that I had, actually, even before I started watching this, so when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like. Yeah, okay, but I don't like Sandra Bullock. Like, I don't know what I, why I think I don't like her. It's not true. Um, because I do... <laughs> like, my roommate... I was trying to explain it to my roommate yesterday before we watched this movie together. And he was like, well, don't you like this movie? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, don't you like this? He was naming all of her movies. And I was like, yeah, fine. I like all of them. And <laughs> so, like, I, 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 I'm trying to figure out what it is that... I, my like brain like instinctually thinks I don't like um Hmm. and so far all I can determine is that I think she's always the same Hmm. even except I would I would kind of agree with that and I think it works for her she she did that one when she took in the football player um oh yeah that that she won an Oscar for yeah, and that seems to be the only time she really played like a quote-unquote character where she had like the southern accent and the whole thing going on. For the most part, I feel like you're right. She's kind of playing herself in a way or that persona, but but I really like it because, I don't know, it's like a breath of fresh air. She just seems like a normal person to me that I mean, she's an actress, obviously, and she's got amazing talent, but she comes across like someone you'd see on the street almost, you know? It's like Julia Roberts is the same way. Yeah, for the most part, I agree with that, right? Like, they they just feel like normal, everyday people that that are in movies, and I think that's just a testament to how well they can act and do their job. Like, she just, to me, I just feel like she... She's doing the same thing a lot, but it's a good thing, and it works for for the movies. I feel. And I, I think it. it um, I don't know how to phrase this. Um, I think it speaks a lot to her talent as an actress that she is. I think with when um, the deal that she did for Gravity made her the highest paid actress in Hollywood. So the fact that she's been making movies, I mean, obviously we're talking about a movie that's 20 years old, but the fact that like any of uh, like Our Brand is Crisis or any of her more recent films that she does come across as like a normal person uh, speaks uh, volumes because she's been a movie star for 20 years and she's the highest paid actress in Hollywood. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved her in gravity. Like, I mean, she carried, she, it's just her, like that whole movie, you know? And like a lot of people, I can't watch them, just them. And like, that's why I feel like there aren't a lot of movies with just one person in the entire movie. You know, it's like, I could watch her and I could watch Tom Hanks on an Island for two (laughs) hours. You know, I had trouble watching Matt Damon on Mars for two and a half hours. You know, like, I, I don't feel like it. He couldn't pull it off as well as Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So, <laughs> I actually haven't yeah. seen Gravity yet, so it seems okay. like it would stress me out. It's almost like a horror movie in that regard. <laughs> it's very tense. Yeah, there were parts where I like wanted to, like I closed my eyes while watching it. Very effective. Well, thank you for talking to me about the net. I'm so glad that you both liked it so much. Uh, that's very exciting to me. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you would say it holds up, right? Yeah, it really does. 
And that does it for this episode of Wistful Thinking. You can find us, the show, and all things Cage Club Podcast Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And send any questions, suggestions, and feedback to wistfulpod at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook and follow us on social media at wistfulpod. And we'll talk to you again soon.